the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. This is the word to stand on for life with Pastor Ron Arbaugh. Your word is sharper than any two-edged sword. And it cuts deep into my heart. The word to stand on for life is a radio ministry of Calvary Chapel in San Antonio. A live call-in show here to help you answer your questions about the Bible and how to apply the word to your daily life. For more information on Calvary Chapel, visit our website, calvarysa.com. Get your Bible questions ready and call in now to 210-340-9585. It's The Word to Stand On for Life with Pastor Ron Arbaugh. Welcome to the show. Welcome to a new week and a short week. I'm Pastor Ron Arbaugh from Calvary Chapel in San Antonio, Texas, and this is The Word to Stand On for Life, a program dedicated to taking your phone calls and answering Bible questions, whatever's on your heart or mind. I'll do the best that I can. All you have to do is call us. Now, I know everybody's busy, but take some time. Give us a call at 210 210- Three four zero ninety five eighty five. That's three four zero ninety five eighty five. If you're outside the local San Antonio area, you can call us toll free at eight seven seven six three zero KSLR. That's six three zero five seven five seven. You can email your questions to us by emailing questions at calvarysa.com, or you can use our free Calvary Chapel of San Antonio mobile app and send them in that way. If you're driving in your car. The safest way to call is to use the free KSLR mobile app. Just hit the Call Now banner at the top of the screen. You'll be connected directly to our studio producer. Our main number one more time is 340-9585. Hope you had a great service yesterday at church. I'm assuming that all of your pastors gave Christmas messages. It's the last Sunday before Christmas. Uh, we had lots and lots of people here yesterday. It really was a good time. I taught about uh, uh, Mary and Joseph, um, kind of followed up our kids' play, and I'll be talking to you about that in a moment as well. Hey, before we get into some questions or into any dialogue, um, let me remind you, scheduling-wise, that this is a week we will not be live tomorrow or Wednesday. Christmas Eve and Christmas Day, KSLR is closed, so they can't do any live programs. So uh, for the next two days, we will have rebroadcast. Paul and I will be back on Thursday for the date day show, and we'll have a normal program on Friday. What I would like to say to all of you is more than just Merry Christmas, but make sure Jesus knows that on his birthday at your home, he's the one being honored. It's great to get gifts. It's great to have family. It's certainly great to eat, all those fun things. But it will all be even more fun if you make sure that Jesus is the guest of honor. So whatever your traditions, however you're going to handle it, we'd love uh, to to be sure that Jesus is at the center of it all. Uh, We are going to be having uh, two Christmas Eve services uh, tomorrow, just two very short services, one hour on the dot. And uh, people can get home early, be with their families as they should be on Christmas Eve. Our service is tomorrow at 4 o'clock in the afternoon, followed by a second one at 5.30. Uh, our services are different than than you might expect, but uh, the Lord always blesses. So that'll be here uh, tomorrow at 4 o'clock and 6.30. Now, i got to brag for a minute. Not about me. Um... I know a few of you came to our children's Christmas play, um, but obviously most of you did not. But you got to go to our website and watch it, calvarysa.com. You will be so blessed. I told the church yesterday, it's the best thing we've ever done here. 
I mean, the kids did such a great job. The adults who put it together did a wonderful job. Uh, it's amazing. It was uh, the, the play, uh, the, the screenplay, the uh, music, uh, lyrics, and the music. All of it was completely original. And what a great job um, everybody did. I told them, I said, we could sell this. The, the smaller kids danced and did the music. Uh, the bigger kids did the acting. Uh, and it was really, really, really outstanding. So go to our website, calvarysa.com, and watch it. I'd be interested in your comments. If any of you went, uh, I'd be interested in your comments as well. Uh, I was the proudest guy in the world. At the end of our service, at the end of the play, uh, three of our young men, uh, they were, um, seems like last week, they were on the stage with the little kids, um, you know, kind of fidgeting around and, wishing they were somewhere else, but but they were, they, you know, they've grown up on the stage. Well, they came out and gave an invitation. I think we had five people who said, uh, yes, they wanted to give their heart to Jesus. Um, and I cried like a baby when those kids were up there because I've known them their whole lives. And to see the young men they've grown into. Now, these were, were um, um, 14-year-olds, um, just, again, knowing them their whole lives to see how comfortable they were with the gospel, to see how confident in it they were, and then to see people respond. I had an 11-year-old little boy at the end of the Christmas play. He came running up to me, and he he was introduced to me by the person who brought him, and he said, uh, I gave my heart to Jesus tonight, and he just hugged me so tight, put his head in my chest, and, and just, he was so thrilled. And, you know, that's just the way the Lord works. So if you get a chance, watch it. Watch it all the way to the end. Uh, you will be blessed abundantly so. Okay, let me get to some questions. Uh, it is uh, Monday, 340-9585. Let me give you the bombshell question at the beginning. Now, Paula, I know you're at home watching or listening to this, so try not to laugh too hard. Here's the anonymous question. Pastor Ron, does Paula always submit to you. <laughs> uh, um, you know, one time Anonymous, Paula asked me, she said, because she was teaching women, she's discipling and counseling women. And and she said, is it okay if I tell them I never want to submit to you? I said, well, of course it's okay. That's honest. Nobody wants to submit to anybody else. So uh, Anonymous, it's a, it's a difficult question for me to answer. Maybe it'd be a good question for you to ask uh, Thursday when Paula's here. But um, Paula is a submitted wife. Um, she knows that I'm following Jesus. It doesn't mean that we don't disagree on things, because we do. Uh, she is a very different person than I am, a much better person, by the way, uh, much closer to Jesus. She's just a, 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 a hero in my faith. Um, but she understands the role that she has. Now, again, she doesn't like submitting. Nobody does. But she understands in order to be pleasing to the Lord, in order to be used by the Lord, she has to live her life on his terms. Uh, it also doesn't mean anonymous that I'm always right. Um, it just means that together we've agreed to agree with Jesus. And I think that's the easiest thing for any husband and wife to do. It's, we're going to agree with Jesus. It doesn't matter whether she's right or I'm right. It doesn't matter what her opinion is, nor, nor does it matter what my opinion is. What matters, the only thing that really matters is what does Jesus say? And in those areas where we might have a disagreement, we certainly don't want it to turn into an argument. We don't want to let flesh have its way. So we have determined a long, long time ago that we're both going to submit to what the Word of God says and do that. So there's really no discussion. If God says to do one thing, I want to do something else, then I'm in sin. It's that simple. And Paula would say the same thing. Uh, so Paula never wants to submit because Paula, believe it or not, still has flesh. Uh, but she does because that's the way to please the Lord. That's the way to be filled with the Holy Spirit. You know, Anonymous, when I get questions like this about marriage and submitting, I just think, you know, if, if, a, if a mother... Um, in a home doesn't submit to the leadership of her husband 
How is she ever going to expect her children to submit to her leadership? I mean, sometimes we don't think about things in those terms, but we've got to set an example. People are watching us. Children are watching you. Neighbors are watching you. The people that know you're a Christian are watching you. So what you need to do is be who you say you are. And Jesus is in charge. So uh, as a man, um, my job is to present Paula holy and blameless before the Lord on that day when we stand before him together. Um, But the only way I can do that is to follow Jesus myself. And I think personally, the best thing about our marriage, the very best thing, is that she knows I'm going to follow the Lord no matter what, and I know she's going to follow the Lord no matter what. One more time, just to be sure, she is far more righteous than I am. Her relationship with the Lord is enviable, but it's so real, it's so fresh every day. And that comes from being obedient. So I hope that makes sense to you. Thank you for the question. Uh, Mike wants to know, uh, can you talk about the unforgivable sin? Yeah, Mike, I can. There's only one blasphemy of the Holy Spirit, Jesus said. Um, the uh, uh, only sin that is unforgivable is to reject the continuing work of the Holy Spirit in your life unto death. Jesus said, when he, the Holy Spirit, comes, he will convict you of sin, of righteousness, and judgment. And the sin part ought to be easy. Truth is, we all know that we're sinners. But uh, of righteousness, that there is a source of righteousness outside of ourselves. And we've got to go to Jesus. And then convicting us of judgment is simple. If we don't take that path of righteousness, then we're going to be judged. And so every day the Holy Spirit's pricking at our conscience. Every day the Holy Spirit is pointing toward Jesus and warning of the consequences if we're not obedient. So if we die in that condition, Mike, that's the unforgivable sin. It's the only one. It's not, as some suggest, attributing the work of God to the devil. Uh, I think a lot of Christians today have done that. If that was the unforgivable sin, then our sins wouldn't be forgiven. But it's simply rejecting the work of the Holy Spirit unto death. If you die in the condition of separation from God, then you face the judgment. Hebrews 9.27 says it's appointed unto man once to die and then face the judgment. So that's the unforgivable sin. Now, Mike, one other thing I want to say about this, and you didn't indicate that this is your issue with it, But uh, I don't know a Christian in their life who hasn't been told by the devil that some sin they committed was the blasphemy of the Holy Spirit or was the unpardonable sin. So we've got to understand the devil's always trying to condemn. Romans 8.1 says there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. So we've got to be smart enough to recognize the attack of condemnation that the enemy brings. So... um, you haven't, if you're still alive, you haven't committed the unpardonable sin. You might have com- committed some really, really bad ones. But the only unforgivable sin is rejecting the work, the person work of Jesus Christ, and dying in that condition, because then there's no remedy left for your sin. So, Mike, I hope that's clear. I want to make that real simple, because I know the enemy really messes with us about that particular sins. Danny says, I have two questions. Are all sins equal? And if so, why do Christians focus so much on homosexuality? Um, Danny, Christians don't focus so much on homosexuality. I think the media makes it seem that way. Uh, I, I think because the, the, the LGBTQ agenda is so shoved in our face and crammed down our throats and we're called bigots and every other untenable thing, uh, simply because we don't agree that anybody is free to live any any way they want to live. Um, and so we, we push back on homosexuality, but it's only in response to the fact that it is pushed on us. And Danny, if you're honest, and obviously I don't think you're a believer the way you phrased your, your question, uh, if you're honest, you'll look around the world that we live in and um, 
I don't like to talk in general terms, but the, the, the homosexual agenda is force-fed to, to people in this world. And if we were to say something publicly, we would be viscerated as a result of what we said. So um, we don't focus so much on homosexuality. You know, there are very few other sins, and there's every everybody knows what sins they're guilty of, but there are very few other sins that have a response. I'm hearing some noise. Um, um, we we don't focus on homosexuality. We just have to tell people what God says. The first question, are all sins equal? The answer is all sins separate us from God. But clearly, not all sins are equal. There are things that are much worse. That's why we have manslaughter laws versus murder laws. Hope that helps. Thank you. Let's go to a phone call. Jim calling on line one. Jim, thanks for calling. You're on the air. Hey, Pastor Ron, can you hear me? I can hear you well, Jim. Thank you. Okay, so I didn't think you'd have many telephone calls today, so I thought we'd do something fun. God bless you. I play (laughs) Bible trivia with my friends before we start Bible study every week, and I had one of the best Bible trivia questions I've ever had last night. And so I'm going to bounce this one off of you and see if you can get it. (laughs) <laughs> okay, okay, I'll try. What is the only man-made thing in heaven? The only man-made thing in heaven. Correct. Hmm. Now see, the Bible answer is going to be embarrassed. I don't know, Jim. It's holes. And it's Jesus hands, feet, hands, oh. feet, and side. <laughs> Isn't that great? <laughs> that is a great question. See, I, I, I often talk to him about Jesus um, being the only handicapped person in heaven. You know, we're going to have our perfect, glorified, resurrected bodies, physical bodies. And Jesus, of course, has his, but he's still going to bear the scars and the wounds of, of his That's sacrifice. Right. But uh, you're right. That's a great question. Man made thing in heaven. Hey, listen, Pastor Ron, God bless you and have a Merry Christmas and keep doing what you're doing. Thank you, Jim. God bless you. I appreciate it very, very much and Merry Christmas to you and yours. Good question. 340-9585. Now, he was right. Our phones have been light last week and and we expect it to be light today. So uh, if you want to talk about something, give us a call. Uh, here is a, gr- a really important question. Jerry says, Pastor on how does one balance faith and doubt? Um, Jerry, I just think we expect that that's part of our lives. Um, my spirit has faith. My flesh has doubts. And I think the way we balance it is that we, we, we always choose faith in the midst of our doubt. And I hope that makes sense to you, you know. Uh, I wish I never had a doubt. Now, I haven't doubted my salvation. I haven't doubted what Jesus has done for me. I've never even for a moment doubted that he loved me. But, you know, I have a lot of doubts. And, and my doubt is based in my inadequacies. Um, you know, Jerry, God's asked us to do a lot of things that seem foolish here, at least from a dollars and cents perspective. Uh, we do things free. We don't have money. We need money desperately, and and we're always fussing. And and God, you know, will, will add to the vision. So, um, how I balance that doubt is I have to walk by faith and not by sight. And faith has to always win out. And so I just have decided. I decided a long time ago. I, I don't think it's a decision that we can wait until we have doubts to make. I think it has to be made and reaffirmed daily. And that is, I'm going to walk by faith. If this is what I believe God is asking me to do, then I'm going to do it, no matter how silly it seems, no matter how foolish it seems, no matter what anybody else says. And one of the things, Jerry, that I I taught the church in the message yesterday, uh, when when dealing with Joseph, um, that if your heart is right with God, and we know Joseph's heart was right with God, he did not believe Mary, who would have believed that story, 
what he's described in Matthew chapter 1 as being a righteous man. His heart was right before God. And though he was wrong in his assessment of the situation, um, though he should have believed Mary, she certainly was deserving of his trust. Um, because he didn't, God redirected his steps. God sent the angel Gabriel to Joseph as well to reaffirm what Mary had said. And I told him, especially for men, we men, you know, we put a lot of pressure on ourselves to be right and make the right choice. Uh, We don't have to do that anymore. All we have to do is have our hearts right with God. And then when we're wrong, God sort of covers our tracks. It's just the way it's been for us here for more than 24 years. And and you know what? I I'm I have made, I'm certain, really, really poor decisions. But God has rescued me from everyone because my heart was right with him. And Jerry, that's the way I balance faith and doubt. Again, I, I think any human who thinks that we're gonna get to the place where we have no doubt any longer, I think that's that's foolishness. So we just have to understand that faith has to win. I wish I really wish that I wouldn't have any doubts, but that's simply not going to happen. Let's go to Cindy on line two from San Antonio. Cindy, thanks for calling. You're on the air. Hey, Pastor Ron. I really enjoyed yesterday's study, and I want to wish you and Mama a very Merry Christmas. And I'm curious about the books in the Old Testament. Now, the Torah was from Genesis to to Exodus or something. I was curious about that, but what I'm really curious about is all the rest of the books, like Isaiah and Hosea and all all the rest of the books. Um, were they written and handed down, or did somebody discover them? And then my other big question was, did would Mary's family have read Isaiah and studied Isaiah? So there, there are all my questions. I'll get off the mm-hmm. phone in. <laughs> Thank you, Cindy. I could do I could do an hour on 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 the questions. Let me let me make it simple. We've only got about four minutes. Um, um, yeah, of course, growing up as children, Mary with her heart right before God, with with parents that were were committed to Judaism, um, looking for the Messiah, as every Jewish family would. Um, yes, Isaiah would have been passed down uh, from generation to generation. And it would have been read over and over. You remember when Jesus went into the synagogue or in his, in his ministry, he opened the scroll to Isaiah 61. So Isaiah, um, um, the most famous of all of the prophets, um, certainly would have been a favored book that would have been read and passed down from generation to generation. Now, one of the things that that is different, Cindy, for, for us than, than it was for them is looking for the Messiah, anticipating his arrival, was an everyday thing in, in a Jewish household. Um, that was their hope. That was their hope for peace. That was their hope for protection. And and so there would have been all of the stories passed down from generation to generation. Now, it's also important to note that these aren't just oral traditions passed down. Um, I had somebody kind of bugging me today about uh, oral traditions being on par with the scriptures, the written word, and that's simply not true. Uh, th- there were manuscripts that were passed down in, in uh, about 180 B.C., the Septuagint, which is the Greek version of the Old Testament was written, and it's one of our most reliable sets of manuscripts. But throughout the history of the Jewish people, there have been plenty of manuscripts. When you read about scribes in the New Testament or in the Old Testament, they who were meticulously kept the word uh, written and, and, and always available and before the people. So um, um, there's plenty of manuscript evidence. Uh, the, the the books of the Jewish Bible, whether they're the, the, the first five books of Moses or the poetic books or the prophetic books, uh, there is tons of, of historical evidence for them. Uh, and they are really um, not in dispute at all. So, um, yeah, they, they have been passed down and read and taught. Um, and that was just the way it was in a Jewish household. Uh, in the ancient world. 
Um, additionally, we have um, in, enormous numbers of manuscript evidence of, of, of the in, manuscripts of the Greek, uh, of our New Testament. So, um, Cindy, there's lots and lots of evidence, and uh, we don't have to have any questions at all about the veracity of our, our, our manuscripts, Old Testament or New Testament. Hope that makes sense to you, Cindy. Thank you very much, and appreciate your comment on yesterday's message. You know, the Christmas message is always something that's really difficult to do. Uh, we we all know the story, and, you know, I don't want people to tune out. So um, coming up with something that people will listen to uh, every year, uh, I used to really struggle with it, and, and I've just stopped struggling with it because I've concluded that whether it's Christmas or Easter, these are stories that we who are believers need to be reminded of every year. So I've stopped trying to make them so original and just uh, just told the story. Yesterday I had a chance to tell the story. We've got 30 minutes left in the program today, 340-9585 or toll-free 877-630-KSLR. This is the Word to Stand Up for Life. We'll be back in two minutes. Got a question for Pastor Ron and the Word to Stand On for Life? You can send it to him via email at PastorRonKSLR at gmail.com. That's PastorRonKSLR at gmail.com. Back to the word to stand on for life. We're taking your calls at 340-9585 or toll-free 877-630-KSLR. Now, here's Pastor Ron Arbaugh. Welcome back to the show, 340-9585. Let's go right to the phone lines and talk with Jackie from San Antonio on line one. Jackie, thank you for calling. You're on the air. Hi, Merry Christmas. I have two little questions and then I'll hang up and listen. Um, okay. I was listening to the ministry on the way to work today, and they said that Jesus' lineage for uh, with to David was through Joseph. My understanding was it was through Mary. And my second question is, the Bible stories show that the Magi came to, um, to the, the stable, where I've also seen things that the Magi didn't get there, and they visited his home when he was one or two years old. So if you could answer those questions, I'll hang up. I can, Jackie. Thank you very, very much. Um, Let me do the uh, lineage question first. Uh, Both Mary and Joseph came from David. Um, We've got both genealogies listed, uh, one for Mary and one for David, or one for uh, Joseph, I'm sorry. Uh, in in Matthew and Luke, um, so you you've got both of them from the line of David. That was very very important, of course, in order to fulfill prophecy. But but in Joseph's lineage, what you're seeing there is his lineage was given to us, Jackie, because um, the legal right now now obviously Mary was his mother. David or, or Joseph was not his father, but but. Joseph also to give Jesus the legal right because the the the, the Jews passed the the lineage from from the father or from the head of the household rather than through the wife or mother so so um his his royal right was through his mother his legal right was through Joseph and that's why we have two separate genealogies but both of them were from uh, the family, the line of, of David. Um, regarding, uh, what was the other question? I have The Magi. Oh, there. that's right, the Magi. Um, you, you know, the, the Magi have been such a, a, a staple in the Christmas story that we assume a, a lot of things just because of the tradition that gets passed down. This is one of the problems with with tradition, by the way. Um, the, the Magi would not have been at all have been at the, the, uh, the, the manger scene. Um, um, 
the estimates of, of, of two years um, were because Herod, when he found out, um, um, about the the Magi, or from the Magi, they were looking for for the King of Jerusalem or the King of the Jews. Um, Herod ordered all of the children two years and under, the male children two years and under, to be killed. And he said, "Well, if there is a king, another king here, because Herod saw himself as a king, not a rightful king, but he saw himself as a king." And so uh, he was just going to wipe out all the competition. That's why he ordered all the, the males under two years old uh, to be destroyed, two years and under. And the idea there is that it took the Magi some time to get to him. We don't know how long that was, but it certainly was um, uh, not at the time of the manger scene. That would that was where the shepherds were. Uh, the Magi came later. It's just included in the story because uh, the story skips some some time in terms of chronology. Another thing about the Magi, Jackie, you didn't ask. Um, the, the, the Magi, there, there, there were certainly more than three of them. Um, nobody would have traveled dangerous places uh, on oh, just three people. Uh, they would have had a huge caravan of people, lots and lots of supplies. This was a long trip. Um, we assume three because there was three gifts. The three gifts were worth a fortune. But there were certainly more than three uh, of the people that traveled. So I hope that makes sense. Thank you. Let's go now to our friend in San Leandro, California, Tanya on line one. Merry Christmas, Tanya. Merry Christmas, Papa Ron. How are you? I'm doing really well. Thank you. Wonderful. I, I, I send my love to you guys. We won't be going home to Texas this year, but I'll certainly be keeping you on our prayers and love you and Mama Paul and all the great folks over there. I just miss you guys so much. And one day, you never know, oh, good Lord, may lead us back, but there's plenty of work to do here, let me tell you. Yeah, I can so bet. I yeah, I imagine. I have a question for you, Papa, and it has to do with the Jewish traditions. Is there value? I, I attended a Bible study, and um, it was a Christian Bible study, and the lady, one of the ladies uh, came up and gave us a presentation on the menorah. And I'm confused as to, because I understand that when, when a uh, Jewish person has accepted Christ, uh, Messianic Jews, I believe is what they're called, um, it's uh, difficult for, to let go of um, those traditions. Is there any value in us knowing the Jewish traditions, some, like, like Hanukkah and Menorah? I understand the Old Testament, yes, we need all that. But I'm talking about just these things that people celebrate. Does that make sense? Yep, perfect sense, Tanya. It does. A couple of things. Um, well, Hanukkah has nothing to do with, with Christ. Um, it's the Festival of Lights, and it, it, it's about the great victory that was given by the Lord to the Maccabees um, uh, in a time of persecution. Uh, and and, and, and it's, it should well be celebrated. I mean, it's a, it's a magnificent event. Now, regarding the festivals or the feasts or the pictures, I think it is important to know them. And that's why we studied the Old Testament. I went into great detail in, through our study, in, uh, especially in Exodus, uh, about all these things. Because it shows the power of God. It shows that God was always at work and that, that these things that were um, um, pictures of the one who would come and fulfill all of those prophecies. Um, it, this was always God's plan. But, Tanya, they have zero value in terms of practicing. Now, when you get to the, the New Testament, the early church, it was entirely Jewish for a very long time. Uh, and Jews had a hard time letting go of the traditions. You remember when, when Peter was at the house of Cornelius and God told him, rise, kill, and eat, and he saw all that unclean food. No, I've never had anything unclean. And, and God basically told him, well, Peter, it's, it's a different game now. Don't call anything unclean that I have made clean. The idea there is that there is no value in keeping those laws or those rules simply because um, there's been a whole new covenant to replace the old covenant. Um, uh, every Easter time, we, we have people doing seders and, and explaining the Passover, and, and there's a sense that, well, we get closer to Jesus when we understand that. We don't. 
In fact, in the study that I did, not yesterday, but the study that I did the week before in Luke chapter 22, Jesus himself said, uh, I will not eat of this meal, nor will I drink of the cup of this wine again until I, I do it in the kingdom of God. Uh, basically, Jesus saying, you can have Passover celebrations, you can do the Seder, but I'm not going to be there. And and I always upset people, Tanya, when I say this, um, but, but you know, we, they're meaningless exercises for New Testament Christians, whether they are Jews or Gentiles, they have no value at all. Again, knowledge has value, and when we study the Old Testament, we see the majesty of the book, we see... How, how God's plan was revealed in little bits and pieces until Jesus actually showed up on this earth. Uh, but there's no benefit whatsoever, spiritually, in terms of keeping the festivals. None whatsoever. And so to explain the menorah, why would we explain the menorah when Jesus said, I am the light of the world? Now the menorah pointed to Jesus, the lesser lights getting their light from the, the, the main light and the candle. But Jesus said, I'm the light of the world. That's all we need to know. And, and I don't know why we like these religious observances. And, and it's okay. You're not sinning if you do those things. But there's simply no spiritual value at all. It doesn't bring us closer to Jesus. Um, there's There's just no real purpose in doing it. So... Hope that answers your question, Tanya. We're going to miss you since you're not going to be here visiting, but we love you and you're on my prayer wall and get prayed for you guys all the time. Thanks for the call. Here is a question from Tony. He says, um, since adultery is the only grounds for divorce, why do Christians divorce for other reasons? Well, Tony, the real reason Christians are divorced is because we have hard hearts. I think we have to de-spiritualize this, this whole thing with marriage and divorce. We get divorced because we don't want to obey God. It's that simple. So Jesus gives us a standard. Yeah, you can, if, if your spouse breaks the marriage covenant with, with adultery, then you're free to divorce. But... When Jesus was asked why Moses permitted divorce, Jesus said Moses permitted divorce because the hearts of heart, uh, the hearts of men were hard, and so it's never God's plan for divorce. But we divorce because we do what we want instead of doing what God wants. It's really that simple. So that's the answer to the why Christians divorce. It, it, it's certainly not what God wants. It's not something that we ought to to. Uh, allow our hearts to get that hard. Um, but Tony, if you've ever been in marriage counseling, um, if you've ever done any marriage counseling, believe me, you see hard, hard, stone hard hearts all the time. And I've had people look me right in the eye and say, Pastor Ron, you know, I love you and I, I, I'm a Christian, but I'm just done with this marriage. And I always ask him, do you think that's going to make your problems go away? Do you think it's going to make your life better? Because you're going to take that hard heart in, into the rest of your life in, in any future relationship. I would ask the question, Tony, since Christians do divorce without biblical grounds, and Paul, in the Word, says that, that, that we should remain unmarried, why do they remarry? Well, it's again because they do what they want to do. You know, if you want to get out of a marriage bad enough, you'll make any promise. Okay, I'll stay single. But then time goes by and you want to be happy again. You want to be in love again. And so we just kind of forget that those are the consequences. And and uh, I think God has displeased Tony a lot uh, with his people because we do what we want instead of what God wants. So that's the only explanation for why we do things. We we sin because we want what we want instead of what God wants. We um, refuse to deny our flesh. And I think the divorce rate among Christians, and I'm talking about not, not people that are Christians after they divorce, but Christians who have been married, divorced as Christians, got remarried as Christians, the divorce rate is astonishing. 
and you shouldn't be in spite of the fact that we stand before our family and friends and most importantly we stand before Jesus himself and say uh, until death do us part I always say until Jesus comes for it and yet they divorce uh, I've done weddings where people didn't stay married for very long and that's always a heartbreaking thing it really is a heartbreaking thing Three four zero ninety five eighty five. Here's a question from Marcus. Marcus says, "Can you explain the Great White Throne Judgment? When does it happen, and who gets judged?" Uh, Marcus, the, the Great White Throne Judgment is called the Second Death in the Book of Revelation. Uh, it happens at the end of the thousand year uh, millennial reign of Christ on Earth. Um, um, the enemy is. Uh, let loose for a short time to deceive the people. You know, the people that have been born and raised in the thousand-year reign of Christ will have been forced to follow Jesus um, before eternity. They're, they're going to be given the choice. So the devil's going to be let loose for a short time. He's going to deceive multitudes of people, as numerous as the grains of sand on the seashore, we're told. And then when that happens, Jesus is going to then... Um, bring them to the great white throne where they will be judged and they will be uh, thrown into the lake of fire uh, where they will remain forever and ever and ever. So it happens at the end of the thousand-year reign of Christ and the people, the only people who get judged, certainly not us, Marcus, the people that get judged are those who have rejected Jesus Christ, those who rebelled against him even in the millennial reign. It's also the time, of course, when um, those held in uh, the place of torment described in Luke chapter 16, uh, that's when they will be delivered over into their final um, uh, destination for eternity. They will be cast into the great, uh, into the, the lake of fire as well. Let's go to Jack calling from Lockhart, te- Lockhart Texas. Jack, thanks for calling. You're on the air. Hello, I'm I've done a little research on this, and I'm wondering about your uh, what you had to say about it. Saying "Amen" at the end of a prayer, why we do it, and um, uh, I'll just I'll listen online. See what you got to say about it? Thank you. Okay, thank you, Jack. Uh, the word "Amen" means "so be it." Uh, it is a statement of agreement. So when we say "Amen" or "Amen," if you're from Texas. Um, uh, it's it's just saying, okay, Lord, so be it. That's that's what you said. Amen. I'm in agreement. Um, we say it not just because it's tradition. Um, we're given that example in Scripture. Uh, Paul says amen several times in the course of uh, especially his benedictions. Um, but it's simply our statement of agreement with what has been prayed. Uh, When Jesus said uh, to his Father, nevertheless, thy will, not my will be done, that would be an amen. Now, often we don't say amen to that because we want our will to be done. But Jack, it's simply our way of sort of signing off the prayer and saying, I agree. Now, one thing I think is really important to mention here, Jack, is we who are believers, we need to, to, to guard against falling into the trap of saying things that we don't really understand or don't really mean. Uh, if somebody prays something, uh, if I were to pray, um, uh, Lord, may we follow you with our whole heart. May we deny our flesh every day. May we be filled with your Holy Spirit and walk after you in holiness and righteousness. Um, when you say amen to that, you're agreeing to it. So it's not just a way to sign the prayer off, but it's, it's I'm wholeheartedly endorsing it. You know, Jack, I tell our, our worship people, they, they're in a really, really difficult position because uh, they sing the words of those songs. I tell them, look, Jesus is listening. You've got to mean those things. So you can't go out on Saturday night and sin and then just come in on Sunday and sing love songs to Jesus. You've got to agree. Well, prayer is even more important. So when we say amen, we're saying, okay, Lord, I agree, so be it. And that's the tradition, uh, and it's given to us. It is a biblical tradition, so it's a, a good tradition. Uh, not all traditions are bad. 
Uh, they're only bad when they are in conflict with what the Word says, and certainly this is one that we read about in our Bible. So that's why we say amen, Jack. Thanks very much. Good to hear from you. Here is our next question. It comes from R.C. Uh, he or she says, can you be a true follower of Jesus and be bisexual? Um, R.C., um, if you mean actively bisexual, the answer is no. Um, Galatians chapter 5, uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 6, both says people who live sexually immoral lives will not inherit the kingdom of God. Now, there's other sins lifted, listed there as well. But if, if uh, you claim to follow Jesus, but you are uh, engaged in sex with people you're not married with or married to, um, or if even in this crazy world that we've got, you're a man and you're married to another man or a woman married to another woman, if you have sex, you're in sin. And, and you're not a true follower of Jesus Christ. Now, I know, R.C., how controversial that's become. And that kind of shows you how far we've fallen away from Jesus in in our culture. Since 2015, when gay marriage was was made the law of the land. Clearly, they have the right, according to the law, to marry. Um, but But those people are kidding themselves and trying to kid others if they are advertising that they're followers of Jesus. And the tragedy, R.C., is that we've got lots and lots of churches, so-called Christian churches, that affirm and approve homosexual marriage, and they're giving people false hope. So you cannot be actively homosexual or bisexual you cannot actively be sexually immoral, even heterosexually, and claim to be a Christian. You're just kidding yourself. I had somebody not too long ago uh, um, tell me they were a Christian and, and, and then describe this lifestyle that they're in. Uh, and, and in this particular case, it was heterosexual. Um, but uh, I just said, well, well, what makes you think you're a Christian? Well, I got baptized. I accepted Jesus in my heart. Well, if you did that, Jesus said, don't do this. Why are you doing it? Well, be, because my church says it's okay. And they're really not a follower of Jesus at all. So you can have same-sex attraction and deny it. That's just like denying any other sin. But uh, you cannot claim to be a true follower of the Lord and continue to be in sin. Let's go to Bernie, Texas now and talk with, I hope I got the name right, Rhiannon. Rhiannon. online. Rhiannon, okay. Sorry for butchering it. That's okay. I get that a lot. Um, uh, <laughs> thank you. I so appreciate your ministry. I, my question thank is you. this. i just um, been hearing a lot more um, people talking about how Jesus has come and visited them, you know, in their bedrooms or wherever. And um, I'm just wondering if this is biblical. I'm trying not to be the eternal skeptic, but we're supposed to test all things. And it just talks about, you know, when Jesus returns, it's going to be quite a spectacle. And then there's, you know, verses where it says, if he appears in the inner chambers, you know, don't believe them. So I'm just wondering, what is your take on this? Should we believe all of these accounts of Jesus visiting people constantly? Um, and I'll yeah. get off and so I can listen on the air. Thank you very much for the question. I appreciate it. It's a hard one uh, be, because I, I think we, you know, we, we have so many churches that are, are falsely promoting these appearances of Jesus and talk about Jesus as though he's speaking to them audibly and he, he shows up, as you said, in their, in their bedrooms. Now, we have biblical precedents for Jesus appearing to people in dreams. Um, I'll tell you, we just had a, an experience that one of our uh, young girls, young girl, young compared to me, but but a grown woman, uh, she was in a very uh, a desperate physical situation um, and, and, and afraid. And she said uh, that in her sleep, Jesus came to her and let her know everything was going to be okay. I find that completely legitimate because it turned out to be okay. It really was Jesus. Um, Jesus appears to us and says, do not be afraid. Um, but but I, I think the answer to your question is going to be determined by uh, what they say about that visit. You know, um, if Jesus appears to somebody, and and uh, we've got all kinds of testimonies about Jesus appearing to Muslims, as an example, 
because for them, converting uh, could cost them their lives. And, and Jesus appears to them just as he appeared to people uh, in, in the book of Acts. Um, but but it's, it's, a, it's true. It's me. I'm calling you to me. And then they convert, and then they don't talk about their, their, their visitations. Uh, but the people who think that Jesus is visiting them and he's chatting with them or he's making them all of these great and wonderful promises, uh, that's probably a vivid imagination. Um, I can promise you uh, that Jesus isn't uh, appearing to anybody physically. Jesus, uh, if people have dreams, again, that's one thing, but, but Jesus appearing to people physically, uh, that's not going to be something that is probably legitimate. You know, one of the things, Rhiannon, we've had so much bad teaching and so much uh, what I call goosebump Christianity that people are looking for these apparitions of Jesus, their appearances, they're, they're looking for um, uh, these great visions, they're looking for angels, and, and they've become commonplace, and people repeat and remember the enemy is a counterfeiter. Uh, he doesn't want you looking for the real Jesus. So often he's going to try to distract you. Uh, he is capable of giving us dreams and nightmares and planting ideas in our heads. So uh, I would say most of the time, overwhelmingly most of the time, those are not real visits. Uh, at the same time, um, we know he masquerades uh, as an angel of light. He's in disguise, but it's really not God. So what we have to do is we have to test the spirits. I mean, we test them against the Word of God. So you're right to be cynical. Um, it's probably not something you're going to convince somebody of if they've had a dream. Hey, thanks for tuning in. Remember, we will not be here live tomorrow or Wednesday. It will be repeat broadcast. Uh, we'll have two Christmas Eve services tomorrow at 4 o'clock and 5.30. May the Lord bless you and keep you. Have a wonderful, wonderful Christmas. See you next week. Thanks for spending this time with Calvary Chapels, The Word to Stand On for Life with Pastor Ron Arbaugh. The Word to Stand On for Life is on every weekday afternoon at 4, and Pastor Ron invites you to find out more about Calvary Chapel at calvarysa.com. The Word to Stand On for Life was sponsored by Calvary Chapel of San Antonio. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.